This summer, did you take a road trip? Anyone take like a road trip anywhere? Yeah. I like road trips. I like road trips. If I had a, a choice over flying somewhere or driving somewhere, I, I would be the guy who would want to drive. I, I like road trips, especially with, with the family, especially with the kids. Uh, one of the things that I learned last year with, with um, our crew is that when we travel, um, I've done this for a while actually, but um, and my, my, my family, they love songs. They love all different types of songs from country to rap, hip hop. Um, I mean, gosh, you name it, they love it. And uh, so last year, uh, carpool karaoke was kind of on the list of just the road trip. And so that's what we do. And we'll put the, the phone up, and I know this is real safe, but we'll put the phone up and, and record, and everybody's got to get on it and stuff and, and sing. And so it's real fun. But I love road trips, and I just love seeing different things. I love the sights and, and just love getting away. And um, it's just good. It's good. And we love that as, as a family. And so uh, road trips are fun. Uh, Jesus, this morning, is on a road trip. He's on a road trip. When you think about road trips, you, you see different things, you see different people, things happen. Um, you have stories that come about also, and, and no doubt with Jesus, that, that was the case. And he's on a road trip specifically to a specific destination, and it's Jerusalem. We've seen that over the last few weeks uh, as we've been journeying through the book of Luke. Uh, who does Jesus have with him? We believe he has his disciples with him along the way, and so he's traveling with people on this road trip. Uh, he will run into those who are being impacted by demons, by uh, evil spirits. He's going to run into re the religious crew as well, as we have seen, and we will see that definitely today. And along the way, Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. We see that definitely come to the surface this morning. He teaches us what the kingdom of God is like who can enter, and also who will not enter. And so I pray this morning that we would be Christ-centered, that we would be kingdom-oriented people. Instead of those who are centered around their own cause, their own way of, of living, maybe a way around their own little K kingdom, but instead that we would be about the kingdom of God, and that we would rejoice in the kingdom of God of God today, that we'd be excited about it, because it is exciting. It's amazing. And so as we talk about the kingdom of God, just a question this morning as we get out of the, the gate, um, what is the kingdom of God? What, what's, what's one way that we can look at it? And there's, there's one author who has written quite a bit on it. Uh, his name is, is George Eldon Ladd. And, and he says this, I just want to give you this quote this morning just to kind of help us start thinking. He says, the kingdom is the outworking of the divine will, of God's will. It is the act of God himself. It is related to human beings and can work in and through them, but it never becomes subject to them, right? Why is that? Because Jesus is king and it's his kingdom. Have you ever thought about it like this, that, that really the kingdom of God is a dictatorship, right? It's a good dictatorship. It's a merciful and a compassionate dictatorship. Right? But the kingdom of God never bends to anything else or anyone else. Uh, we are to bend to it and to its king, Jesus. And so the kingdom of God is the outworking of the divine will. The ground, he says, of the demand that they or we receive the kingdom rests in the fact that in Jesus the kingdom has come into history. That's why Jesus says that the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. It's present. Why? Because he has come into this earth 
as God in the flesh, and he's ushered in, he's brought in the kingdom of God here to where when he tells us to pray, God, your kingdom come, really, that can be expressed in the here and now. Obviously, we look forward to the kingdom of God coming again and in all its fullness, when it's fully consummated when Jesus returns. But until then, the kingdom of God is lived out through his church, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have trusted in him, and as they live out, obeying him, submitting to him, his rule and reign here on earth, the kingdom of God is present. And so that's the kingdom of God, one way to explain it. But there's also another kingdom as well. That's against the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of darkness. In fact, in Colossians 1.13, Paul tells us this, that God has rescued us, right, from the domain of darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, from the control of darkness. And he has transferred us to what? To the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, right? So those who have believed, they've been transferred. They've been ushered into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. This is present. This is here and now. This is a present reality that you can know today, that we can all know today. And so all of creation is in slavery to the kingdom of darkness because of sin and in need of being set free, being transferred to the kingdom of God. And that's really where we begin today as we look at this text. We have an episode that occurs as Jesus is going along the road on his road trip uh, to Jerusalem. And then we have teaching in response to this of what happens. And really, it's about the kingdom of God. And so as we begin today, I want us to see that uh, simply as Jesus came to set people free. And that's what the kingdom is about. So look at verse 10. Jesus was teaching. Uh, It tells us, in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, which he has done before, and there was a woman, in verse 11, who for 18 years, it's a long time, had a sickness caused by a spirit, specifically an evil spirit, uh, a demon, and she was bent double. She could not straighten up at all. So we get the setting here. It's in a synagogue. It's on the Sabbath. Okay, back then it had been a, a Saturday. Uh, for the Jewish Sabbath, and there's this woman who is present, and Jesus is teaching, okay? They would allow guest teachers and speakers, and Jesus would be allowed to teach in the synagogue. And so this lady had a curved spine. She was doubled over, literally bent over. Um, and the cause of it, we're told, of this illness, sickness, condition, is caused by a spirit, a, a demon, a, an evil spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that all physical ailments are caused by demons and evil spirits. But in this case, we're told that this is caused by one. And so look at how Jesus responds. And in verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her. Don't you love that about Jesus? Jesus is aware. He's fully aware of needs, of people that are hurting. He knows your heart. He knows the number of hairs on your head this morning. It's amazing. And he calls this woman over And he says, woman, you are freed from your sickness. Meaning you are loosed to stay free. You're free. You're set free. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. So she went from doubled over to straight up, right? Some of us could use that right this morning. And I joke with my kids, Noah sometimes is taller than me, right? Because I stand like this. But when I stand up straight, it's like, dude, you aren't taller than me. Not yet, all right? But this is amazing. 
she goes from being doubled over to, man, fully straight up. Jesus heals her. He made her back straight. What a blessing. What does this woman do? It says that she began glorifying God. She recognizes that this Jesus was the instrument of God to perform this miracle and this blessing. She praises God in that moment, but something happens. Look at verse 14. Not all are going to be happy about this. The synagogue official, indignant, angry, mad, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. He began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and and not on the Sabbath day. That's not just a rebuke to Jesus, but to this lady, right? I want you to see what religion does. This is religion and its worst hour. This is what religious people look like. They have a critical attitude, right? Instead of being excited and praising God for this healing, and this woman being set free, this guy is more concerned about his cause, his own agenda. So what do we know about the law? The law tells us in the Old Testament, there's about some 613 laws, commands, and rules through the first five books of the Old Testament. They're good. God's laws are all good, right? In the New Testament, we have some laws as well uh, that we are to obey as believers. We know about the law that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He came and fulfilled it. Um, This specific law, though, that this synagogue official is referring to was that on the Sabbath we shall do no work, as he says, we are to rest. It was in response, and God used as the model uh, of his creative work in Genesis 1 and 2. That six days he created the heavens and the earth and filled it, um, and then on the seventh day he rested. We read the command of that in Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11, in regards to the Sabbath. But what do we know about the Sabbath? The Sabbath is God's gift to us his gift to us. Where do we read that out? In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, listen to what Jesus says. He says, the Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift. Not man for the Sabbath. What does Jesus do on this day? He does a work of setting this woman free from her sickness. Does the law say anything about that? Is there law against what Jesus did? This man would say, yes, but there's not. This is God's work. This is the divine will of God. It is good, and there's no law against what Jesus did. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. What he did here was good. But this is what religious people do. This is what religion does. I want you to think about it like this. Um, In my backyard, right, in most of our backyards, we have a fence, right? If you have kids, you're thankful for that fence, because it creates a boundary. If I don't have that fence, right, I have an alley, okay, that I have to worry about. I have the worry of my kids maybe running off. I don't know if they'll do that, but that could potentially happen. But I, I send them out there, and I'm at peace, right, a little bit. I've got two big dogs that sometimes make me not at peace, but uh, just kidding, they're great. Um, but, I, but I send them out there, and, and that boundary is there for they're good, for my good, right? But here's what religious people do. They come and they put a, another fence within the fence, right? 
Well, let's, let's add this. And then let's put another fence within that fence. And so it's rules added to more rules. A fence added within another fence and another fence. This is what they do. They add and they add and they add. Ultimately, what happens, it becomes a prison, right? That you can't escape. And that's what religion does. This man had a cause, right? He thought his cause was worthy. He thought it was important. For him, though, it was more important, his cause was, than that lady being healed. He does not rejoice over her, his, uh, her healing. Instead, he's mad. He's angry. How could you do this on the Sabbath? And he totally missed the point. Totally misses the point. Sometimes we can be about our own causes, can't we? Our own kingdom agendas, our own kingdom, our own way of living. Maybe it's tradition. Maybe it's honoring the past. Maybe it's morality. Maybe it's simply just our way of living. And we're trapped by it, just as this guy is. But the kingdom of God is about Jesus and his cause, his will, his rule. And this guy misses it. He misses it. So listen to how Jesus responds, because his response is big. He says, but the Lord answered him and said this, you hypocrites, right? You don't want Jesus to call you that, by the way. I mean, we all have hypocritical issues, but you don't want Jesus to call you that. But he says here, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall, lead him away to water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, so, so I love this, he's going to be pretty tough on the religious guy, right? But he's tender with this woman, because listen to what he says. He says, this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus is rebuking this man and the other religious people that are present telling them what? What's he telling them? He's basically telling them, that, hey, listen, you treat animals better than you treat people, right? The ox and donkey, they're tied up. So was this lady. She was tied up. She was in bondage by this evil spirit. So if the ox and donkey can be released on the Sabbath, why cannot this lady? That's Jesus' point. That's his question. The Sabbath was made for worship. It was made for rejoicing. It was made for people being set free. You betcha, every day was made for that. It was therefore very fitting for Jesus to do this, to heal this woman, to set this lady free, because that's what he came for. He came to set the captives free, just as he does with this lady. Look at how the people respond. The opposition, they're humiliated. But look at the crowd. Jesus says, as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing. Can you imagine the scene in the synagogue? What a day this was. They were rejoicing over the glorious things being done by him. And so this morning, as, as we begin with this episode, where are we this morning? Right? Because I think this is a great look into how we see people, how, how people are, where we're at in life, where we're at today. We may be like this lady. We may be hurting. We may be in pain. We may be suffering. Maybe it's physical. 
Maybe it's lost, over loss. Maybe it's a hurtful heart, a heart that's grieved, painful. Maybe it's struggles that we're having. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's sin that is holding us in bondage. And then you have this religious guy. And we could all be like this sometime, right? We have causes. We have traditions. But maybe we are like this. Maybe we have a critical spirit. Maybe we are like, you know what? I'm always right. (laughs) And I'm going to prove it. We can all have tendencies like this guy. We can put causes over, sadly, human suffering. That's what that guy did. Maybe we're like the crowd. Maybe, man, we are rejoicing over the kingdom of God and the glorious work of God that we see. Where are we this morning? Whatever the case, I want you to know that the kingdom of God has a king. His name is Jesus, and he's come to set people free. Yes, from physical ailments, but most importantly, from the spiritual disease. From the spiritual bondage that we are in because of sin and the hold that it has on us. Jesus has come to set us free. That's what he came for, the, to set the captives free, Luke 14, 4, 18. That's what he came for. But look what he says next, because he takes this opportunity to teach, and he elaborates more on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come to set people free. So what is it like? He's going to give us a little bit more. Look at verse 18 and 19. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? This is attached to this episode. And to what shall I compare it, Jesus says. He says, it's like a mustard seed, which is, uh, excuse me, which a man took and threw into his own garden. And it grew and became a tree. And then he quotes Ezekiel uh, 17. He says, the birds of the air nested in its branches. What is Jesus doing here? He takes and talks about this mustard seed. Mustard seed is very small. And so remember that. This man throws it, and a tree will come up. And then he tells us that birds will come and nest it in its branches. What is Jesus speaking of? I believe he's speaking of the kingdom of God and what it looks like here on earth. And what does it look like? It looks like humble Jesus coming, Psalm 2, as a man. Humbly coming. His ministry, small, got this ragtag group of men, this band of 12. Seems unimpressive to some. But then it starts changing lives. Starts encompassing and permeating people's lives. And eventually what we will see is in like an Acts 2, it'll begin to expand, right? Begin to expand. I think that's what Jesus has in mind here. So much to the point where he quotes Ezekiel 17, and in that passage, if you go to Ezekiel 17, probably something good to go to later, he tells us, God does, that he will plant a tree, and the other trees of the field will know by that tree that God is Lord of all, that he is God. And so I think what Jesus is saying is this is how you will know that I am who I am, that I am God by this simple, humble ministry that will permeate and change lives, just like this lady was changed. But not only that, look what he says next. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, right? 
we maybe know it as yeast, says, which a woman took and hid this leaven, this yeast, in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. What's pecks? It's also the word sata or se, I think in Hebrew. And so this means six pounds, or excuse me, 16 pounds. You do the multiplication, you get 48 pounds. So that's how much dough this lady is hiding this yeast in. Could feed up to like 100 people when it's baked. And so what's the point? You think about what is, is hidden there. He says, that's what the kingdom of God is like. It seems unimpressive. It, it's mysterious. But then it starts being revealed. It starts being known. And not only that, but it starts transforming. And that's what this yeast does to this dough. It starts transforming from the inside. It starts changing hearts and changing people. And so Jesus is basically saying, hey, listen, you, you may not see it now. You may not see it. You may not completely get it. You may not see the reality and the presence of the kingdom of God here on earth. It's like the sun. It's present. The clouds out there may be covering up today. It's there. It's real. The sun is there. So is the kingdom. And one day, one day, you will see it in all its glory when Jesus returns. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And it changes lives. It changes life. It's, it will, as Psalm 2, as we read there, it will permeate the whole earth. All of it. And we will say, like we read this morning in Psalm 10, Jesus is king forever and ever. And he is. So he tells us that's what the kingdom of God is like. But then look at verse 22, because as he's traveling along, someone stops him. He was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are going to be saved? So this idea of the, uh, there's just a few that are going to receive salvation is the idea. Are there just a few that are going to be allowed to enter into your kingdom? And Jesus says to them, strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door in verse 24. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. He tells us to strive. Now we hear that word and maybe some different things go off of what that word means. It, it means this, with every nerve, every strength, every ability in your body and your mind that you have, seek to know. Seek to know the truth. And seek to know how to enter the narrow door. This doesn't mean work to enter through the narrow door. It doesn't mean go out and do all the works you can do and good works and, and morality and like the religious guy holding up all these laws. It doesn't mean that because we can't. But he says seek to know and make sure you know with everything you have what the truth is. So you can what? Enter through the narrow door. What's the narrow door? The narrow door is Jesus' teaching. It's the gospel. It's Jesus himself. And truth is narrow. It's very narrow. And truth is a person. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so he's saying here, seek to know with all that you have how to enter the narrow door. How do we enter the narrow door? The Bible tells us through belief, believing. Believing in Jesus. 
that he is the king, and that he has rule and reign over our life. And we believe that he died for us so that we could have life. And then he says there are going to be those, many of them, okay, that will seek to enter and will not be able. They will seek out other doors, and there's many, to try to enter into the kingdom of God, but they will not enter because they did not go through the narrow door. Guys, we live in a world full of different philosophies and beliefs. Some even call it Christian. Who will take Jesus and not hold him up as God. Will not hold up his cross as the one way to salvation. Will not hold up the forgiveness of sins through Jesus alone. There are many of that today, and then we'll call that Christian, right? That's deception. That's a form of the kingdom of darkness, is what that is. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is narrow, right? And that's a good thing. It's a great thing. In our world today, narrowness is not accepted, right? You talk about this uh, in the public square, it is not accepted. You're not going to draw a crowd. This is not popular. It's not popular. But I do want you to hear this is truth. When Jesus says he is the way, he didn't leave it open to other ways. When he says he is the truth, he didn't leave that up for discussion. When he said he is the way, right, he meant it. He says no one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. That's it. And so we must accept that. Must accept that and believe in what he says. In verse 25, he says, Once the head of the house gets up, shuts the door, and you began to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then the head of the house will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Does that land this morning? I mean, that's it should land. He wants that to land, right? He, he wants that to land in a way where there should be a heavy feeling of that where we all go, okay, okay. This is real, man. This isn't just life and death. This is eternal life and eternal death. That, it's, it's that big. It's that big, right? It's part of the kingdom of God forever and experiencing the great destiny of being with Christ in the new heavens and new earth versus being somewhere else, which we can find out in a second. And so this is big. This isn't just playtime. Right? This isn't, let's sit in Sunday school and color a little bit and do some crossword puzzles. No, and nothing wrong with that. But this is, okay, this is, this is, this is bigger than anything we'll deal with in life. This issue right here. This is big. And what he's basically saying is there are going to be those when the head of the house, and I believe the head of the house here in this case is Jesus, when he returns and he comes to set up his kingdom here on earth, when he returns, there are going to be those that are like, hey, man, why, why, why can't I come in? And here are going to be their reasons. Verse 26, you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. We had table fellowship with you, right? That was a big deal back then. If you had table fellowship with a rabbi or a teacher, that was a big deal. You were in. But Jesus says, no, that's, not, that's just because you sat at my table? And then he says... You're taught in our streets. Oh, so you're familiar with me? And you're familiar with my teaching? Jesus says, no. 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 
In verse 27, he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. What does that mean? You're of another kingdom. I don't know you. And he will say, depart from me, all you evil doers. And those people in that crowd that day must be saying, what in the heck are you talking about? We are good people. We are good, law-abiding, moral people. We hold up the Sabbath law. You don't. But yet Jesus says evildoers. Why? Because Paul says in Romans 3, none of us are good. None of us are good. Our hearts are evil, Jeremiah says. They're sick. They're deceitful. We lie to ourselves about who we really are. But Jesus knows. And so these are tough words that he calls out among the crowd that day as they are walking to Jerusalem. You see, we can't make our appeal based on heritage, bloodline, being familiar with Jesus' teaching, even just maybe knowing Jesus' teaching. Many things we could say, we, those will not get us in. But we must strive to know Jesus is, to enter the narrow door. How is that? We must know Jesus. We must believe in him. That's what he calls us to do. If we don't, here's the judgment. In that place, verse 28, where he will tell people to depart, who will not enter the kingdom of God, those who do not believe, there will be weeping, sorrow, gnashing of teeth. They will be angry. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. This text is interesting. I don't know if that means then in that day there will be a physical view of the Old Testament saints. I don't know. I mean, you could take that from even, I mean, you could go to First Thessalonians, but I don't want to get into all that this morning. But there may be a view of that. But, or there just may be a mental knowledge, especially specifically to the Jews, that, hey, listen, we, we read these guys. We followed these guys. We followed in their footsteps. And yet they're in the kingdom of God, but we missed it? And they did. And they did. Because Jesus says here, you're thrown out. And there's sorrow. There's gnashing of teeth. What is this? This is hell. It's real. It's real. It's a real conscious place where people who are outside the kingdom of God, who have not believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord of their life, will spend forever, forever. And they, he tells us, will come. Those who will enter from east and west and from north and south, and they will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. These are hard words to the Jews because in mind here is the whole world, right? This isn't just the Jewish population. This is the whole world. There will be many, Gentiles included, who will come, though, and they will sit at the table. They will enter into the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 30, Behold, some are last. Who will be first? Some are first who will be last. Who are the last? They're the Gentiles. And they will be first, right? They were viewed by the Jews as the least of these, but now they will be first. They will be part of the kingdom of God. And who are the last? They're the Jews. Or excuse me, who are the first? They're the Jews. Who did God go to first? He went to the Jews. He chose them as his instrument to usher in his name and to speak of his kingdom and his reign. But he says they will be 
last. And so what's the point there? The kingdom of God will be surprising. Very surprising to religious people. And specifically here of the Jews. When Jesus comes, he turns the table upside down. He turns the view that they had upside down. Because the kingdom of God is open to all. To all. All who believe may enter through the narrow door. And as we wrap up, I want you to see this, because this, I think, is connected. He says, at the same time, some Pharisees approach, so they're listening in. They've had it, right? Remember, this isn't popular. He tells, or they tell Jesus, go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you, right? This is getting real. And Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox. I love that. I, this week, as I was reading, I thought, man, I don't, I don't know if I've ever, I know I've read through this section before, but I don't I've never... Maybe, maybe I just read through that and just hummed right over it. But this, this week I stopped. I was like, wow, this is cool. I mean, I've heard Jesus say, you brood of vipers, but this, you fox. I mean, this is awesome. This is awesome. What's a fox? It's a very dangerous animal, right? Destructive animal. And so he calls Herod that, right? And he says, go tell that fox. But I love what he says. Because here, here's Herod, right? Ruler, king right, over people. Jesus says this, as king of the kingdom of God, behold, I cast out demons, and I perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day, I reach my goal. I read that, you know what I hear? I hear, you want me to go away, and your ruler wants to kill me? All right, well, I'll just continue to do what I'm doing, (laughs) And that's what the kingdom of God is. It is what it is. It is the will of God. And nothing can stop it. Nothing. And that's what Jesus says here. He's going to continue on. and says, the third day I reach my goal. It's an interesting phrase. The third day, many thoughts on this, but I think what it means is, I think it's a reference to the idea of further on in time is how it was used back then. Further on in time, I will reach my goal. What's he talking about? I'm headed to Jerusalem. There I will suffer. There I will go to the cross. I will atone for sin on the cross. I will raise again on the third day. That's coming further on in time, and Jesus will reach his goal. And even further on in that, I will ascend into heaven. And, as we just heard in the section above, I will return again. (laughs) And everything that he just told them, (laughs) it will happen. The kingdom of God will be fully consummated here on earth. And so he says this, we'll wrap up. He says, nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those sent to her. How often, I love this, how often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. You see what Jesus wanted for the Jews and even for this Religious people and the people who wanted him out and the people who wanted to kill him and people who will kill him. He wanted a relationship with them. He was compassionate. He loved them. He grieves 
over Jerusalem. He grieves over the Jews who were indignant toward him. He grieves over those of all walks and lives who turn and walk away from him. He grieves. His heart grieves over that. Behold, he says, your house will be left to you desolate. I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The harsh word there at the end. I think it refers back to Psalm 118. I think what he's saying is, hey, you will not see me again. I think this is a word of judgment again until my kingdom comes. And you heard it said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where every knee and every tongue one day will bow. Whether in humble submission, those who believe, or forcibly recognizing we messed up. Our window of opportunity is gone. Wow, he is who he says he is. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But for these who don't believe, it'll be too late. So today, I think the word is, don't delay. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't delay. I mean, you're not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised the next hour. None of us are. Don't delay in believing in Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to tell you today. We're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to remember together what Jesus has done. As he reached his goal, he has, and one day he will come again and be fully consummated, his goal complete. But if you're here today, and you hear this word today, and you're a little unsettled, all of us should be a little unsettled, I would hope. But if you're unsettled to the point where you're like, you know what? He may say to me, depart, for I don't know where you come from. If that's the case today, man, heed this word. In this moment, take Jesus' word, strive to enter the narrow door. And how is that? Simply give up, (laughs) surrender, and believe in him. That's it. So at the end of our time today, if if that's where you're at, man, I want to encourage you, find someone, find me, find, find somebody next to you. Maybe you've met somebody talk to them and tell them where you're at. Let them help you through this and to know what it means to to believe and to follow in Jesus. For the rest of us, may we understand and remember the kingdom of God. Sometimes, if you're like me, I I can drift away from being kingdom-minded. We all need that check. And I think today's a good place to start. Let me pray.